You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The Bulls are back, baby. We're going to find out tonight if they can really make things interesting with a shorthanded Bucks team. We've also got the Heat and the Hawks tipping off any second here. Heat looking to go up 3-0 and Suns Pels later tonight. What is Phoenix going to look like knowing that Devin Booker is likely out for the rest of this series? That one's knotted at one game apiece. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain in with you on this Friday. Teron Davenport hanging out, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Teron, who's your squad? Who's your who's your NBA team? You know, I don't have an NBA team. I, I'll just default Convenient. to hometown Sixers, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, let's let's roll with them. Sixers, okay. Oh, he says nonchalantly mid-postseason. I mean, sure, we'll roll with them. Uh, They've been looking pretty good, although we've got an Embiid update to get to. But let's start with last night first. Lots to get to. Let's make it Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Uh, Let's talk about some of the things we learned last night. And uh, you have to start with the Timberwolves completely blowing it. Two 25-point leads, one in each half blown en route to a loss to the Grizzlies. Memphis takes a 2-1 series lead. And I saw Stan Van Gundy saying that we've we've gotten ahead of ourselves calling everything a blown lead, that this is the way of the NBA now. And of course, it's it's, it's been a game of runs for years. But Teron, this feels different to me. This is not just a blown lead. This is a team-wide collapse, and there are fingers to be pointed all over the place. Jay Williams was particularly interested in pointing them at T-Wolves coach Nick Finch. Here's him on KJM this morning. Memphis was given a gift. The dumbest, most idiotic coaching that I've seen in the playoffs thus far. And with all due respect to Chris Finch, I know he just signed an extension in April. I'm glad you got your money. You have a very young basketball team with your star player being Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. Memphis went on a 21-0 run. Late in the game, and there was no timeout called to stop the run. I mean, what the hell are we doing? Is this preseason? Is this the beginning of the regular season? That might be acceptable if you're allowing your young team to work through that. And I know some coaches do that. Hey, I want my young squad or my team to work through this run and find ways to have answers. But when you're seeing that lead go down to 10, (laughs) and you see that your team has no damn answer, call a damn timeout. All right, so uh, no disrespect, although I did call him Nick Finch instead of Chris Finch because someone I know is named Nick Finch. I make that mistake a lot. Uh, is disrespect owed to him? Are you blaming this more on him? Are you blaming this on Cat for, for dumb fouls? Like Chris, uh, Charles Barkley said that Cat was a dumb player. Who's getting most of the blame here for you? I think they both need to get it, and Jay Williams makes an excellent point about the timeouts, and that's something that really it's underrated uh, when it, you talk about coaching, right? you have to stop the bleeding at some point, right? So you call the timeout, you gather your guys, especially when it's a younger group. You have to gather them and give them a chance. Okay, look, let's take a breath here and try to stop that run. But he just mm-hmm. let it go on. And I think when you have that happen, the two leads, and Stan Van Gundy could call it what he wants, those were blown leads. Twenty, and When you're up by 20-plus points, and you allow a team to come back, you blew a lead. I don't care yeah, how you want to run split it. so much anymore. <laughs> right. I mean, that's crazy. And I think when that happens twice in one game, especially to a young team like this, it's a soul snatcher. And for mm-hmm. me, you look at Patrick Beverly, he's probably the only guy on this team with actual playoff experience. And what experience does he have? Blowing a lead with, with mm-hmm. the Clippers. So it, it's, it's something that you 
Yeah, it, it just I think it really is a soul snatcher for for uh, Minnesota. Uh, some breaking news in the NBA. The uh, Hawks heat game delayed 30 minutes because of a security issue at State Farm Arena. 7.45 p.m., the new expected tip-off time. Keep you updated on that story. Uh, suspicious package allegedly found at the arena. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see whether that's a franchise season killer for the T-Wolves. Are they so distraught over that embarrassment? Or does the talent get them through? Because we certainly saw the Grizzlies' uh, ability to fall behind by 25 plus on two occasions isn't exactly uh, something that makes you completely certain in their consistency moving forward. But um, that was the favored team. And that was the team that throughout the regular season managed to put together better outings night to night basis than the T-Wolves. So uh, my money's still on the Grizz, but uh, yeah, we'll see how much that took out of the T-Wolves. Speaking of pointing the finger, there are many pointing the finger at Nikola Jokic for the Warriors absolutely handling the Nuggets. And They'll always preface it by saying, oh, well, you know, he's without Murray's, without his superstar help. But they'll still end up in a place where somehow his regular season MVP is undeserved or his statistics are hollow, even as you look at him putting up 38 and 17. Draymond Green seemed to be throwing some very direct shade at Jokic for not being a postseason guy. Everybody not made for the playoffs. I don't know if y'all can see that around the league, but... You look around the league, everybody just not cut out for the playoffs. And, you know, GP is is showing that with his toughness and, you know, with, with the mindset that he has, you know, you, you come out and you do what you do. But, you know, you got to give credit to guys who show up in the playoffs because it's, it's just not a normal thing around this league. You look around and some guys that you think are guys are not guys in the playoffs, and that's just that's just what it is. Tron, are you willing to look at a 37-18 and 18 night from a guy who seemed to drag this team to more regular season wins than you might expect and, you know, obviously is an incredibly talented player? Are you willing to point the finger at him for them potentially getting swept? Absolutely. Wow. He fouled out with seven minutes left in the previous game. In this game, yeah, he had 38, 37 points, but guess what he didn't have in the final three minutes of the game? A point. Hmm. That matters. Yeah, it does. Timely scoring. Uh, you know, the wins within the context of the game are huge. I just feel like there's two sides of the coin. You can either say this is a guy who's not built for the postseason, who has a ton of regular season sex success, but would be the fifth of 66 MVPs to be bounced in the first round. Right now, currently is the third of 66 without a win in the postseason in his career. You could look at that and say that you could also say maybe more props are deserved for what he does during the regular season to will this team to as many wins and playoff opportunities as they get without any help. That's always worth someone who believes that Joel Embiid should be the MVP, I'm going to shift the paradigm. And we're going to look at it from the perspective okay. of he didn't come through in the clutch. That's how right. I'm looking at it. <laughs> well, says the newly found Sixers fan. We're going to talk oh, more no, about the no, Nuggets. No, this no, was, no, we no. got to move on. We got to move on. You just said you were going to roll with the Sixers. You know, I, I don't have a team. I, I like uh-huh. players. I don't have a team. But Embiid happens to be one of those players I like. This was Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. We'll get into the Nuggets. Of course, we'll also talk jazz and what we saw last night as well. Deep hole for that Jokic MVP uh, and that Denver team. We'll get into it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 
It's Spain and Fitz, Teron Davenport, filling in for Fitz on this Friday with me, Sarah Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We were just talking about how much blame can be put on Jokic for the uh, fates of the Nuggets and how much he's just helping a lesser roster outperform maybe what the talent says. Let's talk to Mike Singer, Nuggets reporter at the Denver Post, about this topic. The Nuggets are down 0-3, seven straight postseason losses dating back to last year. And for a what looks to be two-time MVP in Jokic, are our expectations too high uh, for, for, for him as far as what he can do for an entire team? It's a great it's a great question, and the funny thing is is that it ends up lumping regular season expectations and cascading them into the postseason. And, you know, I realize we relitigate the MVP race every mm-hmm. single day uh, <laughs> until the MVP is announced, uh, but it's a regular season award. He You know, last year he was dominant. This season he was even better, and in neither season – has he had his number two or number three best player um, going into the playoffs? So I realize that it is an indictment on Nikola Jokic if he is to get swept in consecutive series. And maybe there is a different parameter if he were ever to win another MVP in the coming years. Maybe he needs to achieve kind of that Giannis status where he wins a championship and then we reevaluate him. Um, but this is uh, the most dominant player this season. Uh, first player in NBA history to get 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 500 assists, carrying a team to 48 wins, uh, only a few wins shy of what the other top candidates got. So um, I don't know about expectations. I just think the Nuggets ran into a buzzsaw uh, in the Golden State Warriors that they just frankly just don't have any answers for. And this buzzsaw that they've run into, the head coach has – categorized as a Pinto versus Maserati. And then he he questions, are we going to roll over or fight like heck? What do you make of those comments, and how do you think, you know, the guys in the locker room uh, have received those? Yeah, I think there's two different things. First of all, I think Malone, uh, who said that before the game, the Pinto versus the Maserati, uh, recognizes that this is a significant mismatch. Um, He certainly can't acknowledge that before the series started, but it was pretty evident after games one and two, the talent disparity. I mean, I've been saying uh, for a week now, if you were to draft a, a team from these two teams, Nikola Jokic probably goes number one, and then when is the next Nugget drafted? I mean, maybe six or seven. So uh, I think he acknowledges that there's a gap there, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that lands well in the locker room. Like, these are competitive dudes, and there was a lot of Uh, frustration and angst and there's been some soul searching the past few days from a number of guys uh demarcus cousins aaron gordon uh will barton guys like that who who have kind of had to look themselves in the mirror and say what is this what does this mean for us if we are to get swept again uh because aaron gordon was there last year will barton was there last year so um i just think that it's a pretty raw emotional time and look the, the reason why Nuggets coach Michael Malone wasn't dejected after game three last night is because he knew they gave them a, a, a significant fight. I mean, they were up with three minutes left in the game, had a fighting chance again against this buzzsaw and a team that um, completely in a series that's completely lopsided at this point. Um, and they had a chance. It didn't, it didn't materialize. And now they're on the brink of elimination yet again. 
It's Spain and Fitz talking about the Nuggets and their 0-3 hole to the Warriors. Mike Singer, Nuggets reporter at the Denver Post with us. I've heard a lot of national takes on all of this. What's the local response to success during the regular season, the pride of having the MVP in Denver, and then the disappointment in the postseason? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, locally people realize um, that this is – the only Western Conference team that's gotten to the second round in three consecutive years. Um, and last year, I think a lot of people would have been surprised had, that the Nuggets uh, made it out of the second round or out of the first round. Keep in mind, their starting backcourt last season against Portland was Faku Campazo and Austin Rivers. So this team has been fighting uphill for a while um, w- without just some of their best players. And, and uh, people don't talk about this, but PJ Dozier at the beginning of this season. Um, had a tor- tore his ACL throughout the season, and he was their sixth man. So the Nuggets have lost about 50% of their main rotation, um, and yet Joker has willed this team to 48 win uh, and nearly home court advantage in the Western Conference, only a game or two out of that. So I think people recognize that Joker is undermanned, and frankly, he hasn't complained about it. And, and also, another interesting point is that he hasn't urged a guy like Jamal Murray, who's obviously been close to returning he hasn't urged him to come back he says i want you to be healthy before anything else so um i think it's kind of a testament to who he is as a player and a competitor that he hasn't made any excuses and he's kind of just gone with what he's got and 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 the fact that he won 48 games and is a testament to how you know how little help he had at which we're seeing right now uh, in this first round series you look at the second game that they lost uh, things started to come apart and then now you have, as we mentioned, the coach asking if they're going to roll over. Is this team in danger of just like falling apart? Like, can they stick together in the midst of all this adversity? Uh, it's a really good question, and I think that there was a lot of uh, internal reflection after game two. I mean, the comments that came, we, we obviously saw the, the infighting on the bench from DeMarcus Cousins and uh, Will Barton, that's Bond, a players-only meeting after the game where guys aired it out and basically asked for accountability. Um, and they basically sought accountability from each other. So, there, you know, w- one thing that I think is really difficult to assess, and it's, you know, just kind of the story of the Nuggets season the last two years, um, without the number two and number three players in Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray, guys are playing up two or three rungs than they were ever expected to play. I mean, Jeff Green has been their starting power forward. He's 35-year-old Jeff Green. Uh, Aaron Gordon is probably at best a fifth option in the starting lineup, and he's their number two uh, option right now. Uh, across the entire NBA, no team has a second-leading scorer uh, with fewer points than Aaron Gordon has at 15 points a game throughout the regular season. So um, they're, you know, it is what it is. They are an undermanned team. Um, that's getting exposed, and it was probably was a bad matchup to begin with. Uh, but, you know, are they going to roll over? That's not necessarily in this team's DNA. Remember, this is the same team that made NBA history coming back from two separate 3-1 deficits. Sarah Spain, Tron Davenport, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio talking to Mike Singer of the Denver Post. What needs to go right for the Nuggets to make this a series? Man, just about everything. And that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Like they had their best quarter of the series in in the third quarter yesterday. They outscore 
the Warriors 30-18. to They're playing defense. They're connecting on threes. They're forcing turnovers. And what did that get them? That got them a two-point lead going into the fourth quarter. Like, everything needs to go right for them. They need to get Draymond Green in foul trouble. They need Jordan Poole not to be morphing into a third splash brother. I mean, I think the Warriors are averaging something like 17 or 18 three-pointers a game. So, you know, I I guess holding them to under 40% three-point shooting is a good place to start. Um, This is an uphill battle. There's mismatches at every single turn. I would be surprised uh, if we're headed back to Golden State for Game 5. What about the the second quarter runs? I mean, you look at it's been that way in each of these these games so far. Is there something that they could do to to stop that? Uh, I mean, Michael Malone in game two tried to uh, adjust with Bryn Forbes uh, to put him and give him some more run to combat the offense. That didn't work. Uh, Last night's adjustment was to use, quote, spark plug Faku Compazzo uh, to disrupt the energy. That didn't work. Um, the, the, the Golden State Warriors' death lineup is devastating. The, the Nuggets, frankly, just don't have a lot of good defensive guards. Monte Morris, Bones Highland, uh, obviously Faku Composite, they're all undersized. Austin Rivers is probably their best two guard um, or the best you know defensive guard. And other than that, they just don't have a lot of options. So when they hit you with that three-guard lineup, and Wiggins, who's been connecting, and Draymond Green, who's facilitating everything, uh, it's overwhelming. I'm not sure why Steve Kerr just doesn't start that from the jump uh, <laughs> and just see if they can get to 150 points by the third quarter. <laughs> <laughs> He's determined to keep resting uh, Steph Curry. Plus, it's fun to watch Steph Curry come in just as the A guys for the opposing team are tiring, uh, just to really stick the dagger in. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for the insight. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. Mike Singer, Nuggets reporter at the Denver Post with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, you know, you mentioned this, uh, Teron Jokic, for all the great uh, numbers that he puts up. Some disappointments as well. Four turnovers when Draymond Green was guarding him. Um, he was contested on 17 of 22. It's easy to focus on him when there's not a lot of other guys that are threatening. And as, as much as his numbers are good, uh, context-wise, there's been some big moments, including obviously getting ejected in Game 1 and, and his services being uh, eliminated altogether. But, man, if it's not hard to watch him look around at his teammates and be like, anybody? Somebody? <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, the Warriors are, you know, Harlem globetrotting around everybody else with the swagger of a uh, championship team. Uh, coming up, we got three games on the docket tonight. We'll get into the next, let you know what we're thinking for tonight's slate. It's Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Three games of NBA playoff action tonight. Toronto, I feel like we've gotten spoiled. There's only been about two games so far this whole playoffs where you could be certain if you changed the channel that the score was going to stay about the same and whichever team had a big lead was going to keep it. It has been back and forth, back and forth so many times. And now with injuries affecting some pretty big names, there are some question marks where there used to be a lot of certainty of how a series might go. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Teron Davenport, in for Fitz tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save on commercial auto insurance from Progressive. Get a fast quote at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Let's start with the first game. It has been delayed, so uh, was supposed to have already started by now. Heat versus Hawks. Heat looking to take a 3-0 series lead. Um, Jimmy Buckets just went off in the last game, and I think the Heat maybe hasn't drawn as much attention as some other teams, Tehran, because not a ton of drama other than the uh, screaming clipboard-throwing day. 
And also right. because the superstar names, as big as Jimmy is, isn't as big as some other teams. Do you think we've underlooked the Heat team in terms of expectations after this series and going forward in the postseason? Yeah, I think we have underlooked them. And when you look at how they match up against some of these other teams, I, I think they definitely are in good shape. I just love the transitional basketball that they play. They do such an excellent job of turning turnovers into points. And they, they just, I mean, they push the floor really well. And I, I like that from them. And Kyle Lowry is a guy that he's not exactly the most attractive uh, style of, of basketball player, but he gets the job done in a junkyard dog way. So, yeah, I think they are really being underlooked, and they'll continue to float under the radar and, and just do what they do. I, I like them in this series, obviously. I appreciate you just rolling with the uh, phrase I misuse, underlooked instead of overlooked. I did that today. I also said today on Around the Horn, the truth is in the pudding, uh, which is not a saying. Uh, nobody says <laughs> the truth is in the pudding. Uh, my brain has been broken, Teron, and I believe it is from too much basketball. I have been watching basketball nonstop, trying to keep track of all the different games and storylines and players. Uh, my brain has stopped actually functioning. Uh, the Heat are looking to get a chokehold on that series. And, you know, the Hawks, this is a really fun team to watch when they're firing. They just looked outmanned, right? It, it just, Trey Young... You know, you want to see the guy that gets the swag. You want to see the guy that gets that look in his eye. And you haven't been able to see it against a Miami team that's just very well coached. Uh, they don't make a ton of mistakes. So you need to catch them on a bad night because they're probably not going to down themselves in this series. Yeah, 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 exactly right. And then you still have Tyler Hero ready to mm -hmm. emerge as well. And I just, you know, I... <laughs> I just don't like the Hawks, man. They have two really? players in, in, in Collins and uh, Trey Young. I just I don't like them. Man. You don't so like Trey Young. I don't. I don't. I think his game is like he plays too much out of control for me. Okay. I, I, I just I don't I don't like the Hawks. Do you usually like the swaggy guys or no? I do usually like the swaggy okay. guys, but I don't me know too. that he's swaggy to me. He, he's not really? swaggy. You ever me. seen him play at MSG? Because that's a lot of fun to watch. Oh yeah, well you know he gets he gets it going, and, and I mean what outstanding basketball player doesn't rise right. to the occasion at the yeah. Garden, especially against these Knicks teams. Yeah, yeah, they they make it easy for you. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Tron Davenport into Fitz, uh, in forfeits. That would be uncomfortable phrasing. Uh, the Bulls and Bucks, the second game tonight, eight thirty Eastern start here in Chicago. Uh, no, I will not be there because I will be hosting this show. Um, this was a series, Tehran, that for all the love for this Bulls team I had all season, how much fun I had watching them, um, I thought this was the end of the road. This was probably the worst matchup for them because we understand that Vucevic is a defensive liability inside, and they at least had a better chance when Lonzo Ball was also on the perimeter alongside Caruso to disrupt things and make it difficult to set up the half-court offense. Caruso has been playing insanely well. He's been playing outside of even the expectations we had from this season, but it, it, it's tough for him to do alone. You lose Middleton as a Bucks team. Yeah. They're a sub-500 team with him not there, and we saw in the years leading up to their championship year that they would be close and not quite have all the pieces, and I wonder if you think the Bulls are now a favorite with Middleton out uh, or whether you still give the nod to the Bucks. You know, I still give the nod to the Bucks. But another guy that's out is Bobby Portis. Mm -hmm. It still goes back to Giannis. Energy and guy, glue when guy. he makes his mind up that he wants to go to the cup, I don't care who you are, you're going to struggle to stop him. And, I, and that's really the bottom line for me. You still got Drew Holiday who's capable of scoring. 
I just want to see just how that crowd reacts to Grayson Allen be, becoming the starter, right? And this mm. being, a, you know, a, a playoff game right there in, in that arena once again. I, I know it's going to be live, and I think it's mm-hmm. really going to be absolutely necessary for this Bulls team to get off to a hot start and carry that throughout the game. Yeah, DeMar DeRozan went off for 41 in the last game. Of course, uh, Grayson Allen, enemy number one for the Bulls this season. He's the one who took out Caruso with that dirty play, and that was a big part of this team losing its way with Caruso and Lonzo Ball out, with Levine out for a stretch, and he's come back but isn't the guy that we saw at the beginning of the season. Those injuries were huge to changing perspective, and so is the Bulls' record against the best teams this season. But now they're starting to play up to the expectations that we had for them early in the year. It's been really fun to watch. I still think it's I think it's 50-50 now. I still think, like you said, when Giannis wants it, he can take it. I don't know why he ever passes it, particularly against this Bulls team. He can get it if he, if he goes after it. Um, and uh, some of the other teammates that he passes to, um, especially when he kicks it out, it, it, it's a better shot for him to take it down low. Um, but I think... If he isn't super aggressive and they don't have Middleton, you need you need Drew Holiday to show up. You need other people to step up defensively to be able to shut down guys like Demar and Zach, guys that often Middleton was assigned to. So I think this is much more of a 50-50 series. The Bulls easily could have won game one. They did win game two, uh, and now they get home court advantage. So uh, th- that'll be that'll be a fun one. Uh, speaking of another series where expectations have changed. Man, I did not have high expectations for the Pelicans. I was just excited. I thought they were sort of playing with house money after acquiring CJ McCollum at the trade deadline. They started the season something like 1-13, and and to make the postseason, to win the play-in game, to get this opportunity to get absolutely manhandled by the Suns was the best I could hope for. But, man, did they fight that game, that last game, and now with Devin Booker out likely for the series, it has changed. And Andrew Lopez, the ESPN NBA reporter, was on this just in, talking about that big turnaround for this team, which happened with some guys getting together and starting to communicate about what they could do. Well, aside from CJ, it's been two things, Brandon Ingram and Willie Green. Uh, Those two have been on the same page. In fact, all three got on the same page right after All-Star break. There was a dinner in Phoenix with the three of them. They got on the same page as far as how to communicate, where to be on the floor, and things have picked up since there. Brandon and Willie, even, they'll text each other late into the night. Brandon even joked uh, he sent him something before game two at about midnight, uh, and he was surprised when he got a ping back on his phone at 1230, and it was Willie Green. So they'll send each other clips, but it's that line of communication that has helped them uh, continue to grow. What do you make of this series? Is there a chance for the Suns to, to, to move forward despite being without Booker? Yeah, uh, it's going to be a tough for them to do it. You know, you got Mikael Bridges, who has continued to rise and, and play outstanding defense. But that communication that was just pointed to, it's not only happening after the game. You see that when they call a timeout and you see Willie Green, the former Sixer, you see him coming over two different players and going over things right away with them. That, that communication is there. I, I don't. I think this is one that's kind of 50-50 for me. And uh, Brandon Ingram, as much as I dislike Trey Young's disheveled style of uh, basketball, I love Brandon Ingram's smooth style. He's a smooth player. You got to say it, S-M-O-O-V-E, smooth, like that. And (laughs) I I love the way he's another one. When he wants to get to the cup, he can get to the cup, but he'll step back and he'll J you to death, too. I love his game. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, this has been a much more fun series already than maybe expected. You hate to see injury. And, man, I, I, I would like to see Chris Paul get one before he retires. It feels like the window is now, but... There is still an opportunity for CP3 to take over, for the other pieces of the Suns to hold their own until they can get Booker back if possible. Um, but it's been interesting to watch the Pelicans go after Chris Paul as if he's a defensive liability, which is something he hasn't been. But in the way that they have attacked him this series, he has been uh, a little bit exposable. So um, this this is, I, I think all three of these series are a bit more, eh, maybe not Heat Hawks. Heat Hawks is kind of going the way many expected with that with that uh, top team in the Heat. But Suns, Pals, and Bucks, Bulls, uh, we could be in for a longer than expected series. Don't forget to tune in for an NL battle tomorrow as the Phillies host the Brewers, presented by Progressive Insurance. Coverage begins at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. We've got some Embiid news, also some more NBA playoffs to talk, but we've got quickies to cover and all sorts of other sports, and it's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Lots more NBA to get to on this Friday, but there's some other sports happening. There's some other things going around, so we'll get back to it. Uh, and and games tonight haven't started yet. That Heat-Hawks game, there was a suspicious package found outside the stadium in Atlanta. Uh, they have figured out the situation. No bomb materials or otherwise, so... Uh, they've moved that game back to an 7.55 Eastern start, and the Pelicans game moved up to uh, 10 Eastern. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Tron Davidport with you. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's get into some of the other stories of the day as quickly as we can. The only way we know how, which is quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. We are so subtle. Let's talk Mike Tyson on a plane because we didn't have a show last night. We've been bumped a bunch for these NBA games. And Tehran, I believe Mike Tyson is famous for the quote, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. That appears to be the case with the man who was bothering him on a plane. Melvin Townsend III uh, appeared to have been punched repeatedly in the head by Mike Tyson on a JetBlue flight. Uh, now he's playing the sob story of being a big fan. He's allegedly Look. suing for injuries. Uh, they reportedly had a cordial interaction, and then Mike Tyson got agitated by the fan being overly excited and started punching him. I never believe you should solve things with violence, but I also feel like Mike Tyson's maybe the guy you try to get a read on, whether he's enjoying your engagement. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't know if you saw the video, but, I mean, the dude was really out of control. And it's, the just one of the, it's one of those situations where, like, you, you know, you, you, you get in the lion's den and provoke the lion. Don't be surprised when you get wrecked. And that's what <laughs> happened here. And you know Mike Tyson has always been an edgy person. So why would you even, and especially if you're supposed to be a fan, you know that. So why would you even try right. to provoke? Hey, listen, shake his hand and keep it moving. But then on top of that, to turn around and, and contact the police and, and sue. Like, that's just such a sucker move, man. I can't Allegedly, he threw a water bottle at Mike Tyson. Why you throw saying? something at someone on a plane? Why you would bother anyone, a celebrity or otherwise, on a plane? Just leave me alone. I don't want anyone to talk to me on a flight. But especially if they've made clear that they are not interested in you know, whatever's going down. Uh, on the other hand, I, I guess if Mike Tyson attacked me, I probably would 
sue, even if I'd thrown a water bottle. I think there's better ways to handle things. Then again, I would not put myself in that position, Teron. Like I said, exactly. that's the kind of person that I'd be watching for cues to step away if things didn't seem like they were going the way he hoped. Uh, next story. Quickies. Jay Wright announcing his retirement. Teron, we were just during this last March Madness tournament talking about how if Villanova were to win, he would be at three titles and how yeah. close that was to the legendary Coach K if he had another 10 or 15 seasons to try to catch up. Obviously, Villanova did not win. And not only that, at the age of 60, one of the most successful current, the guy that everyone thought would sort of take the reins from Coach K as the greatest coach currently in in, in college football, uh, basketball, retires. Here's a little bit of what it sounded like as he said goodbye. The greatest thing for us has, has always been just to be the coach at Villanova. That's, you know, accolades or, uh, uh, you know, winning games. It, it, it's not as big as, as just being the coach at Villanova. I've been thinking about it for a few years. Just, you just think about it. But during this season, it, it started to hit me that it was just the right time. I just kind of looked at where my my coaching was, everybody being in place, our staff, the team. As I said, we wanted to leave this in, in a better place than we found it, and we wanted it to be strong. I started to feel um, just like I wasn't, I didn't have the edge that I've always had, where it just, the edge always came natural to me. And I just, so I started evaluating it. So, Fordham's coach, Kyle Neptune, is set to take over. Already rumors that Jay Wright has left to go to the Lakers. Teron, do you think he's really <laughs> retiring, retiring, or is this a moving on up? Imagine that if he left to go to the Lakers. I mean, it is sudden. So who that that's something. Hey, listen, you can connect the dots that way, but he just better watch the, the path that Rick Pitino, John Calipari, mm-hmm. and others have taken and how it diminished their aura. Right, their their legacy. So just be careful with that. But I will say this: if he is in fact done, this is what I consider someone saying it's not about me, right? Right. Because you know, Coach K said it's not about him, but he proceeded to go on a, a retirement <laughs> right. tour that was whatever. all about him. And right. I, I I like the fact, and it shows absolute respect for the game, in that he felt he lost his edge and he didn't want to be involved with something that he right. apparently. Could not give I 100%. I agree. That's what he said. He said he had to give himself pep talks before practices and workouts um, to just really get into it and said he'd remember telling players, you're either 100% in or you're against us, and he couldn't expect that from players and not from himself. Um, most folks, Wojnarowski and otherwise, have said that he does not intend to go to the NBA, and that's not what this is about. We've, of course, heard that from coaches before when they've made big decisions, uh, but we'll, we'll believe it for now. And congrats to Jay Wright on just an excellent time there at Villanova. All right, next story. Quickies. Fans a little bit frustrated about Miguel Cabrera's potential to get 3,000 hits uh, and being intentionally walked by the New York Yankees. It was a one-run game. The Yankees clearly interested in winning the game, and Aaron Boone decided to walk the two-time MVP, load the bases, and set up a lefty-lefty matchup uh, with Lucas. Uh, is it Lucci? I, I, uh, I'm not familiar with the southpaw for, for the Yankees and Austin Meadows. And I, I think most people, Tehran, have had the right take on this. It's, it's a baseball game. It's right. early in the season. It was a close game. 
everyone's still playing for something. He has a million more games to get the milestone. It's not Aaron Boone's job to please the fans in Detroit so they can be in attendance for it. The only kind of bad take I heard was a guy like Joe Posnanski who said, nobody thinks about the fans. This is about the fans. And I'm like, wait, so the Yankees are supposed to prioritize whether the fans get to see him hit over winning? Uh, other than that, even Miguel Cabrera seemed to understand. And it probably sold more tickets for the next game and the game after that until he gets the, that milestone. What did old coach Herm Edwards say? You, you play, play to, to win, win the, the game. game. And that's what that's what the <laughs> Yankees did. I mean, I don't I don't like it, obviously, because you want to see history being made, but it's gonna come. And at the end of the day, it's the Yankees' job to keep Cabrera, Cabrera from being able to score, right? To to win the game and, and in this case it was necessary to do that. Yeah. I, I also I, I think any kind of well it's the Yankees. They shouldn't they should be they shouldn't be afraid. I mean it's part of the game strategy. strategy. Yep. You just sometimes you walk a guy. Um I also think what's what's not that there wouldn't have been plenty of conversation around uh, Cabrera and, and that milestone, but it's actually, I think, brought more interest to him and what he's on the verge of accomplishing than maybe it otherwise would have because you know how we work in this business. We like to debate things, mm -hmm. and other than where does he fit in the pantheon of greats after he hit that achievement, it might have gone by uh, with so many other storylines, but when you get into the should, should you know, is Boone the worst and are the Yankees in the wrong, uh, I think it elevates it to higher in the show and, and higher in people's rundowns. Yeah. I will yeah. say this. He definitely goes among the greats. I mean, you, you're looking at a guy with that will have 3,000 hits, over 500 home runs, and have a 300 or better batting average. Only two others have done that. And we're talking about Hank Aaron and Willie Mays. So that's quite a, a, a legacy right there. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's going to have some statistics that have never been done before. It, it's pretty incredible. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Tron Davenport, in for Fitz tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Uh, coming up, we're going to get into a little bit more of this Bulls game tonight. I've been trying not to get too hyped about my squad, Tron, because they have not fared well against some of the best teams in the league. But with Middleton out and with the way the Bulls have looked in the first two games against the Bucks. I don't think I'm getting out over my skis too much to think they can actually make a series of this. And uh, I'm also still setting myself up for grave disappointment. It's been a long time since we've been able to believe. Uh, Chris Middleton out. What shot do the Bulls have? Why isn't Giannis going to the bucket every moment of the game? We'll talk about it with an expert next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Happy Friday! It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll get you some updates on Joel Embiid, potential injury to Jimmy Butler as the late start to that Hawks heat. But let's talk Bulls Bucks. Don't forget, you can tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, enough stalling. Let's get to the real story for tonight, and that is the Bulls. They're back, baby. Uh, I may have predicted a gentleman's sweep, but I, I've changed my mind now because they've been in both of the first games, and with Middleton out, everything is different now. Let's bring in Adam Amin. Uh, he, he goes by Drifter on Twitter, but I believe his official title is play-by-play -play announcer for the Chicago Bulls. Adam, this series completely changed, and it's not just the injury. It's what we've seen from the Bucks or not seen, 
and how the Bulls have revolutionized my opinion by playing in the way that we would have expected maybe early in the season, but not later. I think it's a great point, Spain. I think it's the fact that early in the year, and this was when they had Lonzo Ball at point guard, they really pushed the pace from what we saw during the middle portions of the season after Alonzo got hurt. Early in the year, they were playing, obviously, much better defense with Ball and Caruso both being healthy, and they ran off their defense a lot in those first two months of the season. And that seemed to kind of fade away with injuries and as guys had to settle in and as the season kind of turned into the grind that it often becomes, it became a little bit more of a half-court, slower-paced team. But these last couple of games... They've done a really, really good job of turning tempo up. And I don't know if the Bucks were expecting that necessarily. I think they've been a little bit out of sorts uh, themselves as well. This, isn't, this hasn't been a typical Milwaukee group in the first two games, and I do expect them to play a little bit sharper in these next couple. But I think you're right, Sarah. I think from early in the year, the, the things that kind of looked like they were going to be hallmarks for this Bulls group, they've shown up. In the first two games of this series, they forced 36 Milwaukee turnovers in the first two games. They're moving in transition a little bit better. And then what developed over the course of the year was DeMar DeRozan and his mid-range game being as good of a weapon as there is and an individual weapon as there is in the NBA this season. That certainly came to play in game number two. So I agree with you. I think the, the feel of the series, along with the Middleton injury, and that can't be overstated how important he is to the Milwaukee group on both ends of the floor, the injury combined with what the Bulls have kind of flashed back to, I think those have been the, the biggest changers of feel in this series. With this Bulls team being 1-14 against the, the top four teams in the East on a regular season, and you know about the, the streak of, of losses against the Bucks, how much was that, that last game, that victory that they got, how much was that kind of like a corner turner for, for the Bulls as, as they roll forward? Uh, certainly mentally it has to be, right? Like, it has to be because this was a, a slog after the All-Star break for, you know, those those 23, whatever games it was, 23, 24 games. It, it felt like they were grinding a lot more, and all of a sudden these first two games have, have shifted the mentality a little bit. I think game one, they looked a little shell-shocked, and, and I understand it's a rookie in Patrick Williams who's, you know, played two years in the league, but has basically just played about 85 games or so, so equivalent to about a full regular season, getting thrust into starting duty in the playoffs. I get that Zach Levine hadn't had the experience yet of feeling the physicality of how games are officiated in the playoffs, what the intensity level is like, how possessions become that much more important and shorter and more, you know, uh, they come at a premium come playoff time. I think, frankly, this was a Bulls team that was a little shell-shocked in that first quarter when they got down 16 points against Milwaukee. They settled in nicely over the last seven quarters of basketball. And just that first game, the disappointment of losing a game that they, they could have won. And, and they were in, and they had a lead in the second half. I think the experience of getting punched early, losing in kind of a disappointing fashion in game one, and then turning it around in game two – that has to be a confidence boost. And I think DeMar DeRozan said it as well, and I know every NBA player wants to come in with this mentality. It doesn't matter what happened in the regular season. You're in the playoffs. You deserve to be there. The opponent is the opponent. Let's reset, you know, hit the reset button, so to speak. And I think they've done a good job of doing that in the first two games. We'll see if they can carry that over into a home game tonight. 
Bulls play-by-play announcer Adam Amin is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Teron Davenport in for Fitz tonight. Adam, sometimes when we analyze these matchups, we tend to look at things um, siloed. Like, well, for instance, the Bulls are doing this much better, but also, you know, the Bucks have been not themselves, and, and they haven't been able to produce uh, offensively the way we expect. But those things don't happen in a vacuum. How much of what we've seen from the Bucks, not looking like quote-unquote themselves, has actually been a product of the way the Bulls have defended and the strategy they've rolled out, and how much is it just well, you expect them to be better. I think there's a, there's truth in both of those things, Sarah, because all of the, the elements that you're, you could bring up when we're analyzing these games, well, how, the shooting, the defensive rotations, uh, when, the, when you know, a double team comes in, uh, what matchup is this player going up against on these possessions compared to these possessions. You can always break something down, but all of them, all of these elements are in some capacity interconnected, you know, whether it's, I'll give you an example from game two. Mike Budenholzer, who's at times been criticized in his career, this is a two-time coach of the year and an NBA champion coach, obviously, but he's been criticized at times for maybe not making adjustments quick enough or not making enough adjustments. I thought it was a little surprising that they weren't doubling DeMar DeRozan uh, until you know late in the game and starting to trap late in the game. Part of that is, yeah, well, Mike Budenholzer didn't make the adjustment. Well, part of that, too, is also the Bulls made shots something they did not do in game one. Neither team really lit it up offensively in game one, but Zach Levine was inefficient. Nikola Vucevic went two of 10 from three point range in game one, whereas he goes four of eight in game two. And those two extra threes and the higher level of efficiency in these premium possessions, that matters because you're making, you're trying to make adjustments, not just game to game, but possession to possession or or three minute stretch to three minute stretch or quarter to quarter. So all of these things play a factor into what happens on the next couple of possessions or maybe the next few possessions after that down the floor. So I think there's truth in both of those things. I think the Bulls, as we said, have played way better defensively than they did in the second half of the season. They were, frankly, one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA from about Christmas time on, and that's when the injuries started to uh, play a factor. That's when COVID started to play a factor. So it's understandable, but the intensity level that they played with on the defensive end combined with some of the adjustments that they've made and what rotations they've gone. Billy Donovan has changed his rotation significantly from the regular season to now. It's been mostly starters minutes, which is somewhat to be expected in playoff time. But I think you're right. It is multiple elements in concert with one another that play out to the end of the final score. And that intensity on defense, a lot of times it leads to turnovers, which is when Chicago is at their best. How much has Alex Caruso really been able to just influx a different degree of energy on defense and even just a championship pedigree having coming over from the Lakers. There's five of them out there, I, I, as Stacy would say. <laughs> exactly. There's, there's so many of them out there, up to five, in fact, is how many players you can have at one time. I think um, you're right, TD. I think, it's, I think Caruso, A, having the pedigree, so he at least knows what it's like game to game, quarter to quarter, those adjustments we talked about. He's very aware of those. He already comes in with a very high basketball IQ. You know, that, again, that's another thing that you miss with Lonzo Ball, another very high IQ player at both ends. But Caruso has just a really good feel for the game. You've probably seen some of these mic'd up moments. You know, TNT had the broadcast the other night, and they mic'd up Alex Caruso, and you could hear him, you know, body, body, adjust screen to screen or screen to screen. Like he's calling out these adjustments like a coach would. His IQ is on display. And then after game two, Billy Donovan is giving his little post-game 
you know, a speech to the team in the locker room, and Alex Caruso chimes in and says something that I think has really stuck out to me over the last couple of days. They're going to come in, speaking of Milwaukee, they're going to come in as the hungrier team. It's human nature. We won, they lost. They're going to come in hungrier. So we have to match the same mentality from tonight into game three. And just the fact that he knows that, he's aware of it, because he has seen that over the course of four series. And I know the bubble was a little bit different in terms of feel and atmosphere, but championship is championship, and he won one. And he knows what it's like to have to win 16 games over the course of of a couple of months to win a title. So he has that feel for it. So his IQ, combined with obviously his hustle, he he plays a really intelligent game. He had 10 assists the other game as well in game two, along with the experience that he comes in with. I think all of those are incredibly important factors, especially for a team like the Bulls that just doesn't have the level of playoff experience that that a, a championship team like Milwaukee does. Totally agree. I just want everyone to defend Giannis like Caruso. Just stand straight up and let him barrel through you and get the <laughs> offensive foul called. Uh, just And I also want Giannis to keep act, uh, inexplicably taking, you know, seven footers instead of just driving into the lane and, and, and taking on Vooch. That's fine with me. Hey, have fun with the game tonight. Looking forward to the call. Thanks for the time, Adam. Thanks, friends. Love listening to Adam and Stacey King on the call. That gets started in about 15 minutes. Bucks going with a big lineup. Portis starting in place of Middleton. We'll keep you updated on that. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Toronto, Davenport in for Fitz tonight. Coming up, let's get into the Nets. They're going to get a boost on Monday. Will it be too little, too late? Also, the Celtics getting a big piece back. It's all coming up next. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. All right, we're going to talk about the NBA, but I just really quick got to draw your attention to... Oklahoma announcing a statue for Baker Mayfield. What? And it doesn't look anything like him. It looks like the T-1000 from T-2. You remember, did you did you see Terminator 2? Mm-hmm. Okay, I watched it probably a dozen times. Edward <laughs> Furlong, big crush back in the day. That that T-1000 guy who, like, could turn into steel and, the like... liquefy type Yeah, thing. like he would yeah. fake being a cop and stuff. Th- that's what the statue looks like. Also, he's not wearing a helmet, uh, but he's in full pads and appears to be playing. It's it's terrible. Just find it on the internet uh, if you can. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday. Sarah Spain, Tron Davenport, filling in for Fitz tonight. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, quick update, Jimmy Butler back uh, in the game and playing. Looks like just got a little bit banged up. Uh, on a play, uh, maybe the wind knocked out of him, something else, but he's good. And uh, the Heat and Hawks are currently underway with Miami uh, up 22-16 with about 2.50 to play in the first. Bulls and Bucks about to get underway. And then we've got Pels and Suns later on tonight. We'll keep you updated on all those, but I want to talk about some news today um, that's going to affect other series that get back underway tomorrow. One of them is Joel Embiid pain in his thumb he is still expected to play in game four could get an mri in the near future to see if there's ligament damage but ramona shelburne and adrian modraski reporting that he practiced today does want to play tomorrow but was wearing a wrap on his thumb and is experiencing some pain toronto i mean my thought is they've got a 3-0 lead over toronto they easily could have lost that last game probably should have lost that last game won it on a heroic uh, Hail Mary sort of shot from Joel. Um, so maybe they give him a rest here and see if they can finish him off 
and, and give him a break? Do you think that would be wise, or are you or are you in the in the mindset of start him and try to get a lead and, and put him away and then take him out early if you have if you have a lead? Uh, I, you know, I'm back and forth. That's why I made the sound. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. You're torn. You're torn. I, I would go ahead. I, I would go ahead and, and try to put this this series away and just give him extended rest. Uh, on, on the thumb, but you did mention something that I, I think uh, would be nice if you mentioned again. Who hit the game-winning shot there? Uh, Joel Embiid. Joel right. Embiid. The, uh, the guy who should be recall. the MVP, unlike mm. the other one who didn't score okay. three minutes. Okay, didn't score but did you, in the final did you three also happen to see that he missed like five terrible threes before but, he hit that complete Hail what? Mary of a game-winning shot? When when the chips were on the table, oh, okay. it was time All right. to, to win the game. Selective what happened? memory, selective no. memory here yeah, from listen. the guy who said he didn't have a team, but is all in on Embiid. I've always liked Embiid. Okay. So I I yeah. I'll keep with I, that. Listen, I got nothing against him. C- incredible skill set. Um, you know, James Harden's not my favorite. Uh, so. Uh, you know, I, I may or may not have been uh, disappointed when that Embiid shot went through. But um, they have a 3-0 lead on Toronto, and sounds like Embiid will be able to go despite not being 100%. I'm kind of torn on that one, too, because on the one hand, you do want to put the team away and give yourself a rest, especially if other teams go longer than four, but you also don't want to do so much damage that he's not available right. in the more important future series. Right. Um, speaking of uh, guys that are uh, available, Ben Simmons mm. actually... I keep asking folks, particularly Nick Friedel, when we have him on, is this is this an actual step or are we just talking about this to talk about it? It sounds like there's been good reason for us to be giving these ramping up updates on Ben Simmons because he expects to be back. And here he is talking about making his debut for a new team post-trade in the playoffs. Um, it's a good challenge, but you know, I'm looking forward to it, especially playing with these guys. Um, I think for me, my IQ is so high to – you know, play with guys like Kai and, and Seth and Kev. Um, just watch them. I know how they play. I know how they want to play. Um, and for me to just, you know, get them in their spots and, and be a floor general, um, you know, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. This would not be until game four on Monday. The Nets and the Celtics do have a game three tomorrow at 7.30 Eastern. Boston is up 2-0 in this series, and it's gone the way a lot of folks had suggested, Teron, which is that the Nets just cannot guard for a full 48. They're good in clutch time, but they are defensively a liability. And for all the fingers you could point at Kevin Durant for not being himself, you got to attribute a lot of that to the best part of this Celtics defense, uh, team, and that's their smothering defense. Exactly, and that defense is smothering. You got Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year, and you get Williams back. Now you you got a guy who mm-hmm. uh, you'll you'll like this name. I'm gonna propose it. He reminds me a lot of Horace Grant, right? Just oh, just okay, a, a banger underneath. He's always yeah. getting the, the tip backs, but more importantly, he's a, a dog when it comes to defense. And I think you know getting him back and make it even better. As far as the Nets are concerned, with Ben Simmons coming back, that'll help the defense. But you know, when, when you look at that Celtics team, they have the ultimate killer in Jason Tatum. And I don't care if Ben Simmons is on the floor or not. Tatum is going to do whatever he needs to do. And I, I like that matchup, frankly, even though, you know, Simmons is considered a defensive stopper. I don't think that's going to help them against the Celtics team. 
Teron Davenport's in for Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz. Yeah, Robert Williams III hasn't played since March 30th because of meniscus surgery on his left knee. He'll play limited minutes tomorrow in Game 3 and then will be escalated in minutes if he feels okay for Game 4. He was number one among 169 players who defended 500-plus shots as the closest mm. defender in second spectrum tracking. He held opponents under 40% shooting, a big part of why they were the number one defense, and he will make his return. Uh, everybody thinks, assuming he's healthy, he will be a big addition. A lot more question marks about what Ben Simmons brings. Here's Nick Friedel on that. It can't hurt. If he's able to give them what we've seen him do in the past in Philly and give them some possessions where he can play pretty well on Tatum, more power to him because all these games are really tight and the Nets feel like they should be up 2-0 right now. But having watched what's gone on with this group and having seen the limited amount that we've been able to see from Simmons after practice. I'm not expecting him to have some massive impact. This is much more on finding open space for Kevin Durant, getting Kyrie Irving going like he did in game one. This is not on Ben Simmons. I would expect much more from Goran Dragic or Seth Curry as far as the impact in this series. So uh, it's all open for interpretation in the next couple days. But certainly when you talk to people around here, they're just hoping that Simmons can provide an emotional lift if nothing else. And if the defense comes for a few possessions, that's great. Can Ben Simmons get in the zone? Brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone, we will see. Coming up, no Luka, no problem for Utah, right? Wrong. We'll get into what the Mavs have done to the Jazz. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday. Teron Davenport hanging out for Fitz tonight. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and progressive.com. Happy to welcome in Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, Andy Larson. Andy, I'm just going to repeat a question that we were asked on Around the Horn today and get your take on it. Do you blame the Jazz more or credit the Mavs more for Dallas's ability to lead this series 2-1 despite Luka not touching the court? You know, I probably blame the Jazz more, and that might be a local perspective on this, but you look at kind of the talent discrepancy of this series, and I think the Jazz probably on paper have the three best players out there. You know, I think Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are all-stars. Mike Conley was an all-star last year, and you might even throw – Bojan Bogdanovic, and, you know, he was a 20-point scorer two years ago as well as, you know, kind of contenders for that that title, right? But Jalen Brunson has just absolutely torn the Jazz to shreds. Spencer Dinwiddie's done well. Uh, Maxi Kleber's gotten open three after open three. And so you kind of point to the Jazz's lack of perimeter defense as maybe the singular issue in this series that's allowing, you know, Jalen Brunson's a good player, but maybe not an all-star caliber player that the Jazz have made him look like so far. And so, you know, given that these have been kind of continuous issues for the Jazz this year, last year, and even, you know, years before that, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of siding on the side of, hey, this is a lot to do with the Jazz's weaknesses that we've seen uh, in, in the first three games so far. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Jalen Brunson because you have back-to-back big games from him. And, uh, you know, got Royce O'Neal out there playing rugby, trying to stop him, but – the fact of the matter is they're not guarding at the point of attack, and you're seeing so much iso ball, and Brunson is able to just score at will. What really is the issue there? How can they? Is that something that they could get fixed in time to try to turn the series around? 
you know, it, it's hard to say that they can. You know, I, I think you, you watch, rewatch the fourth quarter of last night, and I, I'm not sure that the Mavs ran a single play. It really was them looking to get Brunson or Dinwiddie isolated on whoever the Jazz's worst defender was, whether that was Bojan Bogdanovic or Jordan Clarkson or Donovan Mitchell, and then just attack that, that space. And, you know, I think given that they have Maxi Kleba and Davis Bertans, they have the ability to space Jazz out and make life tough for them defensively. So, you know, I I think there are some things that the Jazz can do as far as kind of helping that initial defender, but it really does start with that initial on-ball defense from those three guys in particular uh, and stopping those drives. And the Jazz haven't been able to do that. They didn't do that in losing four games in a row to the Clippers last year. And so it's hard for to be, I think, for Jazz fans and, and, you know, Jazz personnel to be really optimistic that, hey, we really can turn this around, given that, you know, we, we have seen this in the last six Jazz playoff losses. They just haven't been able to keep guys in front. You know, I think um, it, it's, it's, they have kind of some small personnel. They've got kind of some slower and older personnel. And, the, the you know, I, I guess Donovan Mitchell would be the exception to that, but he hasn't played, you know, solid defense for most of his NBA career so far. So, um, you know, I guess there are, there's kind of a lot of pessimism in jazz land right now about them being able to turn that part of their game around, given, um, you know, the, the failures that we've seen in, in years past. It's Spain and Fitztron, Davenport in for Fitz tonight as we talk to Andy Larson of the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, the, the Jazz have been disappointing this this stretch with, with Mitchell and Gobert. This is a, a duo that, with the talent around them, the expectations have been much higher than their ability in the postseason. How much of this do you put on Quinn Snyder, particularly when you look at something like the Mavs being able to turn Gobert, who's a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, uh, into more of a liability? Why isn't he able to adjust and take advantage in those situations instead of uh, constantly being exposed? Yeah, you know, I think certainly some of it is personnel. And, you know, I, I think essentially, you know, having uh, multiple uh, attackable defenders and, and some of that is just like, hey, there's not a whole lot of coach can scheme up in order to hide those guys when you get in a playoff situation and the team can space the floor and just attack them one-on-one with, you know, not, not even one of the, the elite scoring guards, but a, a level of, you know, a good but not great guard in, in Jalen Brunson um, or even Reggie Jackson last year. You know, I, I think with Quinn, it certainly maybe the, the more fair criticism is to say, like, okay, you know, why haven't uh, these players improved under these, this your tenure so that, you know, maybe – uh, they can keep someone in front. And, you know, is, is there another scheme? Can you go zone? Can you go, uh, again, with kind of the small ball that we saw in game three and, and maybe have a better chance of, of stopping them? And, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that um, that hasn't happened. I think probably the more accurate Quinn, uh, at, you know, criticism would be in that he has been slow in kind of defending three-point shooters who are having good series against them. I, you know, obviously Terrence Mann in the Clippers series last year went off, and now we're seeing Maxi Kleba, uh, you know, made nine threes in the entire month of March, made eight in game two. You know, maybe you're just a little bit quicker to make that adjustment in, in terms of saying, hey, this guy hasn't been able to shoot during the regular season, but clearly is making them now. We need to kind of make the adjustment to shut him down. So, you know, I think there's fair criticism to, to, to throw at Quinn Snyder, but ultimately, I, you know, I think the, the biggest issues on this team are, are roster-wise in, in terms of just not having kind of the, the perimeter defensive stoppers that you do see on, on the elite defensive teams in the NBA right now. 
Uh, Donovan McNich- Mitchell, excuse me. I, I almost said Donovan McNabb. I'm thinking football. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, D. Mitchell, he, he after that this this past game, you know, he said that the intensity wasn't really there until Eric Pasco came in 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 the fourth quarter. Where does that blame lie? Because I mean, you got Rudy Gobert. He's a former Defensive Player of the Year. Why is that intensity lacking without Pasco being out there? Yeah, you know, I think there are kind of two explanations for this, and one of them is more worrying than the other. You know, I think the first is the Jazz are used to Rudy Gobert being back back there and kind of eliminating their mistakes a little bit so that if someone does drive by Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley, that Rudy is back there to get that block or get that, you know, shot contest and, you know, make what might be a made basket or made layup or dunk on another team into a miss. And that's what Rudy Gobert is so good at. And kind of in the playoffs when, you know, the teams are able to move him out of the way and move him into space a little bit, it's harder for him to help in, in significant ways. Um, so, you know, may, may just kind of be the, the ability to, for the Jazz's perimeter defenders to lean on Rudy Gobert during good times as, as a reason for that. The second, frankly, more worrying reason, and, and given the reporting around this team, is that, you know, that they were more motivated to succeed when Eric Paschal was playing center rather than Rudy Gobert because of the chemistry and off-court issues surrounding this team. And, you know, given that what we have heard between the relationship between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, and, and, and heck, it's not just Donovan, but some of the other players as well, I think that's a fair concern that that might be the real reason as well. And, you know, that, that the team did feel a little bit of giddy-up when they did have someone else out there that you know they could be excited about so you know I, I don't know how much blame I put Rudy you know on that on Rudy Gobert's shoulders but it clearly you know the the chemistry of this team hasn't felt right all year long there has been kind of snipping in the media back and forth between Donovan and Rudy and and you know this is an ongoing issue for the team and so I, I don't think that it's crazy to at least blame maybe both of those factors together a little bit for why Clearly, the team's level rose and kind of the intensity rose on both ends of the floor with with Rudy out of the game. Before we let you go, and it's Spain and Fitz, Teron Davenport in for Fitz. We're talking to Andy Larson, the Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. How likely do you think it is that if this team gets bounced, swept even potentially, or I guess not swept because they've won a game, uh, if this team gets bounced, that this is the end of this iteration, the team's going to get blown up? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of to what extent at this point that it gets blown up in, in my mind, you know, like, there's no chance in my mind that unless they somehow miraculously recover and beat Phoenix in the second round that, you know, they, they keep Donovan, Rudy, and Quinn Snyder together all year. I think uh, next year, I think to me the question is, is it one, two, or three of those guys gone? You know, I, I think is it, you know, does Quinn Snyder move on to a different organization? Do the Jazz look to trade Rudy Gobert and, and kind of build around Donovan Mitchell and his guys and kind of those CAA-level clients? Um or do the Jazz kind of worry about Donovan Mitchell leaving maybe one day and, and build around Rudy Gobert, who spent his whole career in Utah, and kind of maybe a more stable option if you want to go that way? So, or you know, or as you point out, you could just blow it up and kind of move on entirely and and really truly rebuild. And you know, I guess it's it's hard to know because Danny Ainge has been uh, is the new CEO of the Jazz, is really kind of the leader in charge here, has been in, in charge of the Jazz for such a short time. You know, all I can say is kind of looking at his Boston tenure, I think he has been aggressive in terms of trying to, you know, trade his players at, at the right time in their career, whether that's Isaiah Thomas or Paul Pierce or Kevin Garnett, and uh, would not shock me for Danny Ainge to be similarly aggressive in this offseason 
you know, especially given that, you know, this, this season has been a disappointment. Interesting stuff. Yeah, it's, it is it is just so disappointing. I'm such a fan of Donovan. So fun to watch, but just never really comes together at the right time. Hey, thanks for the insight, Andy. Really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, guys. Spain and Fit, Sarah Spain, Tron Davenport, hanging out with you on a Friday. We'll get you updated on the games going on now, plus some sound from Carl Anthony Towns. Does it make you think this season is soon to be over for the T-Wolves? We'll play it for you next. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Happy Friday, everybody. You're listening to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Teron Davenport filling in for Fitz tonight. Don't forget to tune in to an NL Battle Sunday as the Phillies host the Brewers. Coverage of Sunday Night Baseball begins at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, and at 7 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, we've got Heat Hawks going on right now. Uh, Hawks are the lead right now, 52-44, with about three minutes to play in the second. Also, the Bucks and the Bulls are underway. It's early in that one. The Bucks are up 15-6. to six. We've got the Suns and the Pelicans later on tonight. It'll be interesting to see how the Suns come out without Booker and if, uh, if the Pelicans can really take advantage of that superstar absence. Uh, that Suns team was pretty much a given start to finish all season long. Booker being out a massive changeup, although they were able to go stretches of the season without CP3 and others. So I'm sure that there will be a strategy in place to try to tread water in the hopes that Booker will be able to make a return. Uh, Middleton expected to not have uh, an update for a couple weeks uh, for the Bucks. So a number of different superstars, Joel Embiid, we mentioned, is going to be playing with a hurt finger tomorrow. Um, and then just some hurt egos, Tehran. Uh, and watching that Timberwolves game last night, uh, as the Grizzlies came back twice from down 25, uh, made you wonder about a couple things. One thing is coaching, allowing that run without a single timeout, 21 straight, finishing the game 50 to 16. The Grizzlies outscored the T Wolves. Let me say that again. 5-0, 50 to 16. And three of that 16 was, uh, you know, throw away at the end of the game. So it was more like 50 to 13 when it mattered. And you have to wonder, is that the kind of loss that makes it real hard to come back and get back into this series, even as a Timberwolves team that's got a ton of talent? Absolutely. I think it really is one of those situations where the back is broken. It's a spinal injury for that team, man. Hmm. And it's just, like I said earlier, you look at the degree of playoff experience. I mean, this is a young team. They don't really have much playoff experience outside of uh, Patrick Beverly. And when you get a, a loss like that, I mean, it, it's it's over for them. That's, that's the, the best way I could put it. And to think that they were able to do this, Memphis, that is, w- without getting an outstanding game from John Morant, that just lets you know. You know, Bain stepped up, he dropped 26. But that lets you know, you know, that, that this Memphis team, they got it rolling. Yeah, and they're young too. That's the thing is this is a young Grizzlies team that just seems to have more fight and more fire than mm-hmm. the Timberwolves. Um, Timberwolves looked best in moments when they were making runs with transition buckets. And to me, that's the kind of basketball that doesn't take a lot of thinking. You're just banking on the talent that you've got. 
And when it settled in, that's where the Grizz took over. And it was about fight and it was about strategy. And that's where you start to wonder about Chris Finch uh, not taking the timeout, how he plans to adjust to what the Grizz are showing. And then Carl Anthony Towns. Now listen, Teron, around these parts, uh, partly due to company mandate, we're not supposed to take shots at people. We could say the things that they do are stupid. We could say the way they're behaving is dumb. We can even say they are acting like a something, which still sort of removes it enough from a flat-out insult to someone that can skate by. But I don't know if they have those rules on TNT because on Inside the NBA, Charles Barkley said Carl Anthony Towns is dumb, a dumb player. And I wouldn't say that about him. I would not call into question his IQ, but dumb plays for certain. And if yeah. you're going to have a bad night, like Ja did, and still end up with a triple-double because of Ja, you're fighting for it. Carl Anthony Towns, whether it was the play-in game or some of these early games of the series, you just feel like if he doesn't have it, other than a couple blocks, he's giving you nothing. And that's the thing. You mentioned how Memphis has that, that fire, that toughness. I don't think there's enough aggressiveness, enough dog in – Carl Anthony Towns, because this is a dude that's tremendously talented. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about being able to do everything. The guy could bring the ball up the court if you want him to. He could bang underneath. He could shoot the three. His jumpers consist. He could do all of these things, but he just has that degree of softness to him, mm -hmm. and that's the big problem. I don't problem. usually like to accuse guys, but yeah. Yeah, and that's the big problem. Uh, and, I mean, you, you look at – you know, when they go against the Sixers, Embiid always takes his heart. Always. Consistently. It happens. Mm -hmm. And you, yeah. you can't have that. Yeah. Carl Anthony Towns, more fouls than shot attempts. It's kind of becoming a trend. It was another dud for him. Five fouls, four shots in that last, uh, in the 33 minutes that he played. And he can't stand up and respond to those off nights either. Because this is what happened in the postgame presser after last night's terrible loss. Four shots for you. Just what did you see out there, and why did it? Why was it so hard next for you question. to get the ball? Which, what? Next question. There was nothing gotcha about that. There was nothing rude about that. If you can't ask the superstar of a team why you only took four shots, <laughs> what are we doing here, Teron? What I say. Soft. Yeah, I don't like to call people soft. I really don't. And he's been through so much. But man. Between him and the way that Chris Finch has coached, they just it, they struggle with double teams. They struggle with the smaller lineups that are that are being thrown at Towns. And you know you you can agree with Chris Finch when he says they're swarming him. You know they're all over him in the post. They're all over him when he's at the top of the key. They just find a way to get in his way. Okay, well Anthony Edwards had a coming out party and then he disappeared. Or you could strategize to take advantage of him having to use more than one guy on your star by finding the open man. And it just does feel like the Grizzlies find a way even when their stars aren't having a good night and the Timberwolves shut down. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened in that game. That's precisely what happened. And that right there is just a sign. Like That tells you the difference between the two teams. Again, like I said, this series is done. And all they need is for Morant. Like, you're not going to have too many more games like what, what he right. had, right, in, right. in, in this, this last one. So once he starts catching fire, you know he could do that in a hurry, then that's really going to be even more trouble for uh, Minnesota. 
Do you um do you feel the same way about Steve Nash? And I know we're running out of time here, but I've seen a lot of criticism for him just being a cheerleader for the Nets. Now, most people are not blaming him. They are saying that that's exactly what Kyrie and Durant, Durant wanted. If you remember, they sort of floated out the idea of we don't even need a coach. Yeah. But they sure look like they need one now. Yeah, they, they need one now. And the problem is with, with that team, they're undermanned. And you have to have huge games from both Ky- uh, Kyrie and KD in order for them to win. And you got to bank on these mm-hmm. guys scoring 30 to 40 points apiece yeah. to, to win consistently. You can't. Yeah, it's because they can't play D. It, it's because, listen, you, you first of all, you do expect more from Kevin Durant. But you also look at the way the Celtics are defending him and yep. you say – this is what makes the Celtics great. And that's why you Absolutely. can look at a team like the Nets Absolutely. when it's constructed. And you can look at them even in the regular season when they have these big nights. Or you can shrug off their struggles and say when the postseason comes, it'll be different. Nah, you need defense in the postseason. You're going up against teams full of stars and teams that are great. You're not taking nights off like you can in the regular season against Chump. So that this Nets team is kind of faring the way a lot of folks expected when it comes to needing to defend from minute one to 48 without a doubt and i i think you know conversely you look on the other other side you got the celtics just they're playing outstanding defense so there's a a big yin and yang in in this Mm -hmm. uh, series yeah, it's been really tight, but so far it's gone the way of the Celtics. We'll see what happens with Williams and Simmons. And Hawks are up 61-54 on the Heat at the half. You can watch that on ESPN. Of course, you'll keep that on your TV while you keep your radio or your app on ESPN Radio. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up next. They're going to have LeBron on, who just promised he'll never miss the playoffs again. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 